0: You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters, because accounting matters.
1: This is Adam Olson, Embark's Accounting Advisory National Practice Leader, and you're listening to Accounting Matters. We're coming at you with some bonus episode content, recapping some of the highlights from this year's AICPA conference on current SEC and PCOD development. There was a lot covered over three days earlier this month in our nation's capital, where we were able to hear from regulators, standard setters, practitioners, and preparers on a variety of topics. We've got a six-part series that we're going to dive into some of those areas and share not only what we heard, but also some key reminders as companies think about their upcoming year-end uh, reporting and leading into the next year in 2023. I'm joined today by one of our recurring guests uh, to the podcast, Nicole Harger, who's a senior director in our National Quality Group. Nicole, welcome back.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you, as always. Um, And I know we're here today to talk specifically about kind of the first part or the first episode in our series, which is centered around quality financial reporting, um, especially given the economic uncertainty that we we have ongoing throughout the year and, and likely leading into next year. But before we dive specifically into that topic, Nicole, maybe just like, you know, I know you were there in attendance with, uh, with myself and some other folks from Embark, but just kind of what were your overall thoughts on the conference um, from, your, from your perspective?
0: Yeah, so this was actually my first time ever attending. So going into it, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I thought it was very well organized. They touched on um, all of the hot topics that, you know, that people are thinking about that are in the news, you know, crypto assets current state of the economy. Um, and we you know, we had a great time. We learned a lot and we're ready to share that information with you guys.
1: Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and then pivot to what we want to talk about today, which was, like I said, it's around just the overall need for quality financial reporting, um, especially given some of the economic uncertainty. And, and, and really right out the gate, the conference opened up with a Really focusing on this issue, and that's that is around that quality of financial reporting. So day one, you know, we had a lot of opening remarks from uh, Paul Munter, who's the acting chief accountant of the SEC, uh, and, and he really, you know, stressed his message around increased transparency in financial reporting and making sure that preparers are really providing that decision useful information for investors and users of the financial statements. You know, one thing, Nicole, I thought was uh, interesting, and I, it was a phrase he used that stood out to me. And I don't remember if you if you recall this or not, but he was he was talking about accounting, and it was basically saying that accounting is more or less like storytelling in a way, and it's really viewed as the language of business. And we use accounting more or less to tell you know investors the story of the business and what. You know, ultimately going to be meaningful to them and understandable to them, and so, you know, really as people think about their year in reporting, it's really making sure that we're being transparent in the way we're we're using that language of business in our financial statements. So, you know, I thought,
0: I, that, I, I thought that was a great analogy. Uh, and something that you know I had never really thought about it from that perspective.
1: It was a it was a neat way to, you know, to characterize what you know traditionally I think people think about accounting, but you know, definitely holds a lot of truth there when you think about, you know, the information that's included in financial statements. And even for registrants, too, we're speaking about SEC registrants specifically, you know, even like information outside the financial statements in their MDNA and other areas of their filing. You know, I think a few other things that that stood out to me in some of uh Mr. Munter's kind of opening remarks, you know, he obviously touched on the current environment that we're, you know, I think every every business, every, every person um, is frankly aware of around just, you know, rising inflation, um, which leads to rising interest rates. we talked, you know, they touched on supply chain disruption, you know, you've got labor shortages in different areas of the world, uh, geopolitical uncertainties. You know, there was discussion obviously around the Russia-Ukraine conflicts and, and, and even so just kind of, you know, segueing from like, you know, they they spoke about the conference just two years ago, which was remote, obviously due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And just as soon as you're, you know, everyone kind of felt like we were getting past that COVID-19 hurdle and all the, all the pain felt from that. You know, you've got all of these other factors coming into play at the, at the same time, creating just a little bit more, um, panic and uncertainty. And so, you know, I think one thing he was definitely stressing as well was around that companies need to make sure that when they're thinking about, you know, particularly accounting estimates or judgments that may be impacted by many of these factors is to really take a good hard look at that and, and really be transparent about um you know any key judgments that are being made, um, as well as the estimation uncertainty in general. Um it, it, and you know, I heard a lot of people too just talking with um with folks kind of in between the sessions and stuff like that around just the overall current environment and and what that means for a year in reporting. And I think, you know, I heard from numerous people like just the emphasis that they were going to be applying to their financial statements this year is particularly in their disclosures, recognizing that, you know, what they disclose this year is probably even more important than it's been in years past. And that really they need to make sure that they're not just doing, uh, you know, boilerplate kind of routine copy paste from last year disclosures, but actually providing some more of that meaningful information.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: You know, and I guess like the only other thing I would probably ask my own personal views is that, you know, I I do think it's prudent that companies revisit their disclosures, particularly, you know, registrants when they think about um, maybe some of the risk disclosures they've included in the in the past. You know, I think a lot of people had disclosures related to COVID. And I know there was a lot of guidance put out around disclosures related to COVID and the risks around COVID. But, you know, just thinking about all of the additional risks and things that are ongoing today, uh, you know, and making sure that if you had very generic language in your disclosures, just uh, to revisit those and instead of thinking very like generically about what those risks are, you know, maybe think about if they are direct impacts, or there are things you're seeing is that you're framing those disclosures a little bit differently than maybe you had done um, in the past and and really giving more light to like how the events are impacting some of those risks. You know, one other thing, Nicole, I think I thought was interesting was just, and, and I, like I said, it really does center around this, this concept of transparency um, that, that Mr. Munster was really driving from, from the onset of his speech was, around disaggregation. And I know we're going to be having another episode later um, in the series talking about how the FASB is like focusing on some of the disaggregation. But, you know, Mr. Munter was also, you know, very uh, pointed around saying that, you know, investors are wanting to see more disaggregation within the financial statements. They want more information. They want more uh, meaningful information than what maybe they're currently getting. And so there is a larger focus on providing, you know, disaggregated financial information. And I thought one thing that was interesting, um, from my end was around, Paul was saying that you, you don't necessarily have to wait to disag, like wait for a rule necessarily to provide like more meaningful financial information. You right. know, there's obviously, you know, there's parameters around certain non-GAAP measures, obviously for SEC registrants. Um, You know, that you definitely want to keep in mind, but so long as you're within the the boundaries of that, like providing more disaggregation in your financial statements voluntarily, you know, is permitted. And, you know, I think that's one thing he was trying to emphasize is that, you know, people should think about disaggregation um, where it might be more useful for their investors. to have that, so I th- I, thought, I thought that was a you know an important point to see because I do think a lot of times sometimes people wait for uh, you know rule makers whether it's the SEC um, you know you know providing some you know changes to Regulation FX over the FASB you know through a new standard or something that would require different presentation they kind of are on a, a sit and wait scenario but if you right. know, there's nothing technically preventing you sometimes for, for, from providing some of that more disaggregation so. Uh, I thought those were were pretty, um, you know, interesting points there. Did you have anything else that kind of stood out to you on disaggregation?
0: Yeah. So one thing, um, you know, he also noted is that investors have asked for more information about cash collected from customers and cash, paid to employees and cash paid to suppliers, um, just for example. So, you know, he did encourage preparers to consider disclosing information they would provide under the direct method. Um, even if they don't actually use the direct method on the face of their financial statements, uh, for their cash flows, just as they're kind of thinking about year end reporting, you know, again, just kind of touching on, uh, more information, you know, investors wanting more, more, more and more information, um, given these um uncertain times.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was interesting too, because he's basically saying, hey, I I know ninety-nine point nine percent of you guys use the indirect method for cash flow, which is true. I don't think I've ever seen anyone use a direct cash flow method, even though it is prescribed in gas, but you can do that. And like <laughs> like you said, it, it it's often viewed as providing more um more pointed information using the direct method, but you know, even if you choose to use the indirect, you know, maybe consider voluntarily providing some of those direct cash flow um, disclosures just to be like, again, it, it all centers back to transparency and just, just, you know, being more responsive to what investors are, are wanting and needing. So, yes. Um, so that was day one. And, and like I said, I felt like this, this theme around quality financial reporting transparency, it kind of like weaved its way throughout the conference. And then I know on the final day, in um, day three, they had a panel as well that that really was kind of revisiting this topic. And um, you know they had different you know partners from a variety of accounting firms up there kind of just sharing kind of key reminders around specific accounting and reporting topics and where you know economic uncertainty, um, you know all the risks that we kind of highlighted. Um, you know, just things for registrants or preparers to keep in mind as as they're looking at kind of their year end reporting. Uh, we we actually, you know, it was interesting listening to them discuss a lot of this because we had just recently put out a podcast. I think it had just been released maybe a week or so prior um, to the conference itself. And so it definitely touched on, you know, a lot of what they were saying and maybe more. Um, so definitely would encourage people to, to check that out if you haven't had a listen and want to hear a little bit more about, about some of those impacts. But maybe, Nicole, from your end, you can kind of walk through What that panel group, you know, highlighted as just some things to keep in mind as people are, you know, thinking about their year-end reporting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, so obviously one of the first topics um, they talked about was impairment. So as you're thinking about um, your impairment assessments for year-end, and whether you're doing a qualitative or quantitative assessment, um, and various triggering events. So, you know, if given the economic uncertainty, if you've had a prolonged decrease in stock price, like is that um, indicative of a triggering event? Um, You know, another thing they touched on was cost of inflation. So if you have increases in cost um, of obtaining your products or other inputs, um, is this being passed on to your customers and how does that impact the demand um, for your product? Um, the next thing they talked about was financial projections. So your projections going into your discounted cash flows and other fair value calculations. You know, given the high interest rate environment that we are in, how does that manifest itself into a higher discount rate that may be used in your fair value calculations? Um, they also touched on you know timing of the annual impairment test. So. You know, they used an example. I think if you if you do your annual goodwill impairment test as of um, October first, you know you don't want to ignore facts and circumstances that occur after that date that would give rise, you know, for you to have to perform another quantitative um, test at year end. You know, they also reminded people um, or everybody about the order of your impairment assessment. So before you just jump into um, goodwill impairment, you know, you have to think about your non-financial assets. So your AR, your inventory, um, and then you move into your definite lives intangible assets, um, your long lived assets, you know, you take those impairments and then you assess your goodwill. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about discount rates. So your interest rates, um, and thinking about, um, you know, just dis- your discounted cash flow is obviously a very popular way. To determine fair values so when you're thinking about the discount rate what to use um they, i think they they use an analogy of you know a layered cake right so you kind yep. of start with your risk-free federal funds rate you take into account your credit risk so maybe do you have a deterioration of credit risk to consider and then lastly you know, you have, you think about your entity specific premium. So how risky are your cash flows um, as they may not be as predictable in this current environment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I said, there are there a lot of good analogies and that, that, that's definitely another one that stood out to me was the, uh, the layered cake approach to, to thinking about your discount rate. What about like, I, I know there was talks around to just like amending contracts, renegotiation of contracts. Um, Just in light of the economic circumstances, what were some other reminders that you you recall from that that perspective?
0: Yeah, so there were kind of two different areas where they touched on um, modification of contracts. The first um, was really focused on your revenue contract. So, you know, you are required to reassess probability of collecting consideration um, that you are entitled to if a significant change has occurred you know, um, as a key reminder, collectability is assessed by contract. Um, And one thing they did point out that uh, management should be thinking about, you know, typically your um, MSAs are not really considered a contract. It's your MSA and your purchase order. So if you entered into an MSA, you know, three years ago, whatever, Credit rating you ran in, in those years prior um, may not be applicable for today. So um, you do want to make sure that you're thinking about um, collectability from your customers and um, the probability of collecting what you're entitled to. And obviously that take that does take into account your price concessions. And then um, the other area of contract modifications they touched on was stock compensation. So obviously, um, you know, the idea around stock comp is to incentivize your employees. So if you have certain um, performance metrics that, you know, a company is not you know, anticipating to meet, and they and their management is thinking about amending those contracts um, to right. maybe potentially lower some targets, like thinking about the impl- implications of that modification or even termination of the contract. And we have to think about your um, the four modification types with stock comp. So you're probable, it's improbable, et cetera.
1: Yeah, no, I think those are all all good reminders. And and good things to keep in mind. And like I said, um, you know, we, we walked through a lot of these considerations in in our previous episode of Accounting Matters. Um, so definitely would remind people check that out to hear a bit more about these three items and then you know, many other considerations, going concerns, other things that tend to come to mind, um, liquidity considerations, you know, as you think about economic uncertainty. So uh well, I think that's a a good recap on just kind of the general thing here um, around quality of financial reporting. Again, you know, like I said, it it was we throughout that there's just a, a heightened need to make sure that what we're producing, and I say we, like very universally, you know, as preparers or consultants helping our preparers that are producing financial statements, is just to make sure that we're. We're being transparent. We're giving decision making useful information that's relevant and timely um, to investors. Um, because that's really where the appetite is and that's what they need. And so I think we'll we'll leave it there for today. And so, Nicole, I want to thank you for uh kind of sharing your thoughts there and and welcome our listeners back for part two um of the series where we're gonna touch a bit on um, you know, more specifically what the SEC was, you know, including as kind of key reminders and where some of their priorities lie, um, comments, letter, trends, et cetera, that we heard through the conference and um, in our, our second part of this series. So I encourage everyone to come back and listen to that. And Nicole, thanks again for joining me. And uh, oh, we'll, we'll me. yeah, of course, we'll welcome our listeners back on another episode of the County Matters.
0: This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant, subsequent, authoritative guidance issued.